Incredible to see you. Welcome to all of our campuses. Thrilled you chose to worship with us, whatever campus you're at. God behind bars. We love you, men. Just thrilled you guys are there and how God has grown both of those campuses. It's been just been astronomical. No, we love everybody. Promisers at all of our campuses, whether you're online or sort of catching up, wherever you're with us, we're thrilled that you're here. By the way, this weekend is, is week two for our next steps, next steps experience. If you've not been a part of that, if you are, uh, if you're new, it's a four-week experience that that rolls every weekend at Pellissippi. You can catch that at the 6:15 service, or at all of our campuses at the 11:30 service. So you can stay in extra service, check your kids back in, go to next steps this weekend. Uh, we're going to join uh, together via video in the gym. We're looking at New Year's resolutions, a great time to get in the gym, so we're going to talk about how you can grow, how you can grow closer to the Lord because your personal growth is our passion. And so if you've not been a part of that, check it out. It will help you. Next Israel trip for those who's on your bucket list, and I would challenge everybody that can go to go, is March 2020 during spring break, so it's going to be incredible if you want to be a part of that information, if you'll let my assistant Gloria know. Well, we have just a few days of Christmas Spectacular. Is everybody excited? Come on. It's going to be incredible. Uh, It begins actually this coming Wednesday at Pellissippi. It begins Friday at some campuses, Saturday at other campuses. Just check your campus to see when the service will start this Wednesday. And our student ministry at Pellissippi will launch that. It's going to be incredible. By the way, this is going to be the first weekend that we give out the 2019. You know, we write a book for you if it's new. Uh, We want to do everything to help you grow. And so as we launch you into a new year, you'll see the theme for the year. It's a devotion. It goes through January. It also has a personal growth plan in the back, a prayer journal. And so we'll be handing these out next weekend. So January 1, you can get on it. Uh, it's just an incredible tool for you. And so that'll, we'll start that next weekend. And I believe God's going to be, God's going to do some incredible things. Now, did you guys enjoy the series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Was that, man, that was just off the chain. One of the things that we did, and I had one up here and I have lost it, is the grid that we gave out. Yeah, let me see that, Michelle. All right, thank you. Looking good, Michelle. And uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help. I couldn't help myself. It was such an impact last, the, the series, that we went ahead and had the grid made in the refrigerator magnets. It's dry erasable. So you can take your grid, put it in your refrigerator, and write the names as you find out who lives around you, people you want to invest that you want to invite and involve, especially in Christmas Spectacular. Well, what if my neighbor comes over and they see I've written their name on the refrigerator? That's easy. That's easy. Tell them, hey, you know what? Jesus told me to love my neighbor as myself, and I didn't know you. And and so I made a grid, and I have all my neighbors, and I I just want you to know I pray for you every day. Do you think a neighbor's going to be, well, how dare you? No, they're going to say, are you, are you serious? You're going to say, absolutely. And so it's just an incredible uh, thing for you. Now, 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 listen, here's a problem, because we do sermon series all year long. Somehow people get to think you only do it during the series. 
So we preached a month on revival, and people said, well, revival didn't happen. No, no, it's not a month. It is a lifestyle. Loving your neighbor, it's not a series. It's a lifestyle. Miracles, it's not a four-weekend deal. It's a 24-7 deal. Does that make sense? And so as we hit Christmas spectacular, then the next weekend we're going to have candlelight communion. It's going to be incredible. Then we finish the year up. So December is going to be incredible. I want to challenge you. Let's finish the year strong in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's just rock it spectacular as we finish up drinking from the rivers of provision and driving on the roads of vision that God has given us. So Farragut, hope you guys are ready next weekend. Pastor Kyle Wall will be moving to your campus. And next weekend, Blunt, I hope you're ready. Pastor Zach will be moving to campus pastor. We're flip-flopping. Both of those two guys are interim campus pastors, but we're flip-flopping campuses. And so you guys need to get ready, get your running shoes on, because both of those guys are going to get after it as we finish this year and hit 2019 with a Holy Ghost momentum. Are you with me? This in the flow of what God is doing. So as we get ready for Christmas Spectacular and then Christmas, I'm going to do a very different kind of message this weekend. I know you hear that all the time. Listen, if you come, we do not want you to get, get used to what we do. We are going to change it up. Amen? So don't get used to it. So we want to, it's a way to help you understand Christmas. It's a way to help you understand the invasion that Christ must was and still is today. So we're going to do that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So we're going to handle the word of truth. And, and, and that, that word comes from two Greek words in the New Testament. Rightly is ortho, to rightly ortho, and then to, and then to Thomas is straightened. It's where we get our word orthodontist from. And orthodontist is a tooth straightener. And so we are going to handle or straighten. We're going to make sure that we have the truth straight. So if you ever want to take notes, this is going to be, and if you don't, you're going to have to go online and get it because you'll realize when it's done. I'm going to back the dump truck up and give you a lot of information, but it is how to see the scriptures because all of history is his story. Are you with me? All of history. This Bible is God's story. When people say, well, what's the heart of the Bible? Is it about me? No, it's about him. Are you with me? It's about him. He's the center of all that there is. And so we want to get better at telling the story of God. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the Newer Testament, and it all is the story of God and how God intersects with mankind. So as we look through history, you're going to see, a, I'm going to give you a bird's eye view of the entire Old Testament and how, the, how God planned things, and as God planned it, God planned it for you to be a part of it. Does that make sense? So it's going to, again, it's going to be a different kind of message, so I need you, so you're going to have to focus in, because I'm going to run through about 4,000 years of history in about the next 12 minutes. Are you ready? So, man, you might as well, you might as well get it. So we're going to divide the Old Testament up into 10 periods of time, see where most books fall, and then we're going to see how Christmas and the redemptive plan of God falls into history as God reveals it. So the first period of history is the primeval period. 
It is 2100 B.C. and backwards. Now, some of y'all haven't been in school in a long time. B.C. counts down. Are you with me? All the way down to where? Zero, Jesus. And then it starts counting up to, 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 to today. So it's the primeval period. It is Genesis chapters 1 through 11. 2100 and back is how, whenever God made it, when he started it all, that's the deal. That's, that's what's going on. After Genesis 11, everything changes because in those first 11 chapters, we have creation, we have the fall, we have, we have the flood, and then we have the, the confusion of the languages of the Tower of Babel, and then sort of the introduction to Abraham, and then we move to period number two, which is the patriarchal period from 2100 B.C. down to 1500 B.C., and this is Genesis chapters 12 through 50. That's where this time frame, we call it the patriarchal period because the fathers are the leaders of the home, and if you were monotheistic, if you were following after Jehovah God, then the father was the priest of the family because the priesthood had not been fully established. There was Melchizedek and some other things, but the priesthood. And so this is when Job happens because as you remember reading Job, regularly Job offered sacrifices for his kids in case they'd sinned for his family, for himself. After this period, no God-fearer would have ever done the sacrifices. After this, it was all the priest would have done it. Does that make sense? Then we get, to, we get to three, which is the Exodus period, 1500 to 1400 BC. At the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, sort of the end of the Torah, the law, the first five chapters, the Pentateuch, the first five books, the Pentateuch in this period. Probably the best dating, right in the middle, 1446 BC, is when God sends Moses and he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and toward the promised land, which leads us to the next period, period number four, which is the period of conquest. That is between 1400 and 1350 BC, the book of Joshua, because Moses dies, Joshua becomes the leader, takes him across the Jordan River, it dries up, God, God literally parts it, they go across, and and the entire life and the leadership of Joshua, they are taking the possession of the land of Israel that God said he had given them. Then we move to the fifth period. After the death of, after the death of Joshua, we go into a tailspin. It's called the, the period of the judges. And, and that's, we go judges and Ruth, the books happen there, 1374 to, to 1051. Uh, BC. And this is the period where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They would sin, God would send a, a nation to come, and they would enslave them, and they would cry out, God, we're so sorry, we'll never do that again. Forgive us. God would raise up a deliverer, Gideon, Jephthah, Baroque, Deborah, you know, Samson, all those fell in this time period. And they were, they were judges, and they would deliver Israel, then they would be the leader, they would die, and the people would fall back into sin. Spiritual leadership is vitally important. Would y'all agree with that? Good leader, good nation, good bad leader, bad nation. Good priest, everything went well, bad priest, everything. Good king, they went well, bad king, it didn't go well. So we go from, we go the next period, 
which is the period of the United Monarchy. It's the sixth period. It is 510 to 931. This is a short period. This is the period Saul, David, and uh, uh, the wisest king. Solomon, I just seen if y'all are, y'all are listening, good. <laughs> Did really well there. The books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles deal with this period of time. It's united, they're all together, everything is great, they're expanding their territory, the kings are ruling, David has been an incredible king, and then his son takes over, it's an incredible leader, and then 932 BC, Solomon dies. At this point, the kingdom of Israel is going to be divided, a big divide, 10 to two. Again, but what, what happens? Well, when Solomon dies, and we hit the divided kingdom, what happens? Well, remember the story, Solomon's son Rehoboam, and Rehoboam becomes king, and, he, and, he, and the people said, listen, man, your dad was a tush hog. Listen, he taxed us, he drove us, we built the temple, we built the palaces, we built all these cities. The ch- I mean, it's incredible, the building program that Solomon led, transformed the entire nation. And they said, how about some slack? And so Rehoboam goes to his father Solomon's advisor and said, what do I tell the people? They said, that's easy. Go out and love on them. Tell them it's going to be okay. And if you'll go out and speak kindly today, they'll follow you forever. He goes to his buddies, which is what we all normally do, right? Come on. We go to the wrong people for counsel. He went to his buddies. What should I do? Tell them, man, don't be coming whining to me that your little finger's thicker than your father's loins. He just been you with whips. I'm going to use scorpions. You thought my dad was tough. You ain't seen nothing yet, Jack. And they said, okay, great. We're done. So 10 tribes and Ephraim go, the southern kingdom, and Dan and the tribe of Judah stay in Jerusalem, and we have the period of the divided kingdom. 931, because Solomon in 932, the year before, dies. 931. Now, two kingdoms, two kings, and that's why it gets, it gets as you're reading 1st Kings and Chronicles, it gets sort of difficult because there'll be a king of Israel, the king of Judah, king, and they're moving and they're fighting and all this stuff is going on. 722, Sargon the Assyrian comes and, and basically destroys the 10 tribes and Ephraim. They had started worshiping the golden calf. It was terrible. It was awful. God finally says, that's it. I am done. Allows the Assyrians to come in and take them all captive and make some slaves. What you would think, what you would think, is that Judah would see what, see what they had done and what God did and say, I don't want any of that. See, what we should be do is smart enough to learn off someone else's dime. But most of us, not so much. Are you with me? We do the same thing. And so Judah, now they're all that's left are two tribes. It's the period of the single kingdom. The eighth period, 722 to 586 BC. This is the time of Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. They're prophesying. They're doing all this kind of stuff. 712, Nineveh falls. Now, again, hang with me. We're going somewhere. If you're listening, say, I am. 605, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes the first group of captives. In that wave, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are taken captive. Daniel, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are all prophesying. 
586, Nebuchadnezzar comes back, destroys Solomon's temple, and literally levels Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been destroyed 39 times in that, that city. 37 from the north and two from, from other ways. And so what God does is God says, you're going to be, through Jeremiah the prophet, the land is going to enjoy its Sabbaths. Because God said, listen, when you go to the promised land, on the seventh year, don't plan. Now, God gives commandments that require faith. Are y'all with me? Tithing and Sabbath, man, those are ginormous. I want you to go, and on the seventh year, don't plan. But listen, if you'll do what I'm telling you, you get a whole year rest. Talk about a vacation. God was all about some vacation. Don't plant on the seventh year. You're going to get a bumper crop on the sixth year. You'll eat all the sixth year, all the seventh year. You don't have to work. You'll plant the eighth year, then you'll harvest. And they said, we don't believe God could do that. So they don't give the land the Sabbath. God's because of your sin, the land will get the Sabbath. Seventy years, I'll come back and get you in Babylon. So Ezekiel is, is with the people by the river Chebar. He's with all the exiles. Daniel is in the capital of Babylon. He's there with Nebuchadnezzar and his son and then Cyrus the Persian, who would take over next. And uh, Jeremiah is left with what's called the dregs, the poorest of the people. Now, the people have been taken and the Jews have been exiled from the house of God. They have gone from the place of their worship. So then we move into the ninth period, which is the period of exile and captivity, 605 to 539. Remember, the southern kingdom is gone. The Assyrians got them. The northern, or Judah and Dan, have been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. In this time, we find the books of Haggai and Zechariah. In 536, Cyrus the Persian, the Persian Empire, takes over, and Cyrus tells all the Jews that are in Babylon, listen, you guys go home. Rebuild the temple, I'll pay for it. And by the way, pray for me and my sons. And so they go. In, in five, uh, 536 BC, the foundation is laid. It takes a year and then the people stopped working and started building their own stuff. They forgot about the kingdom of God. Come on, anybody, anybody understand? Forgot about God's stuff and took care of their own stuff. And so God sends Zechariah and Haggai to go remind them of what they were supposed to do. It's actually what Isaiah talked about, our theme for this year, when he said, okay, I'm going to send you to be delivered from the Babylonians. I'm going to make a road in the desert and a river in the wilderness for you to go home. And your reason to go home is to rebuild the temple and be a witness to the world of my glory. So 516, it's done. Zerubbabel's the governor under Cyrus. <clears throat> the temple has been rebuilt. Some are shouting, some are weeping, but it's over. Then we hit the last period of the Old Testament, which is the period of restoration, 539 to 400. And it closes with the book of Malachi. And Malachi gives an incredible prophetic warning and says this, as the Old Testament is closed, if you, do not, if, if you do not turn the hearts of the fathers back to the hearts of the children, or the hearts of the children back to the hearts of the father, then I will come smite the land with a curse. I don't think that requires any action from God. I think when you take away the fathers, the curse is automatic. Look at any culture in America, any city around the world where their dads are gone, everything crumbles. Are you with me? Everything crumbles. And so it is, it, it, and so he warns us. We go then 400 years where God 
doesn't say a word. Not a word. God breaks his silence in the temple when Zechariah is confronted by an angel who says, Zechariah, you're old. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son, and you're going to name him John, and he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Listen, if you're listening, say I am. Never take God's silence for God's inactivity. Well, I just don't feel like God said anything. That does not mean God's not doing something. So let me, let's just, let me give you a snapshot of what was going on in this 400 years. If you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, they've been exiled from the temple. There's no place to worship, so they gather in Jewish groups called Knesset. Later, they called them synagogues. The synagogue means we go together. That's where if you had 10 Jewish men in a community, there could be a synagogue. Every community had a synagogue all around the known world where Jews could come. Now, let me tell you what they did. Are you ready? They didn't go from one synagogue to the other when they got mad that the rabbi didn't say what they wanted to hear. They had to learn to get along. Listen, the world will know you, you're my disciples when you have what? Love for each other. So you need to be planted in the house. Are you with me? Those that are planted in the house will flourish like the cedars of Lebanon. How many of you ever coached any kind of ball team? Any kind, little league, whatever, hold them up. Okay, let me ask you a question. How well would your team do if your players showed up every third game? Would you win? Okay, our kids check in at Faith Promise 1.2 times a month. Are you with me? How can we win when we're not faithful? Okay, that was for free. This is not even part of the sermon. All right, so let's, let's just thought out. So now the synagogue is not a biblical thing. It's a Babylonian thing from 539, 333. And so that's going on. It's the Persian period. That's Persian now ruling the world. In 343, Philip, the king of Macedonia, has a son. You know him. Anybody know who he is? His name is Alexander the Great. From 300 to 333 to 300, he conquered the entire known world and then sat down and cried because there was no other nations to conquer. Military genius. And here's what he did, though. Listen, it's why it matters. He Hellenized the entire known world. He Hellenized them. He also gave the, all the known world a common language, which is Koine Greek. It's like today, English is the known language globally. Aviation, if you're going to fly a plane or be an air traffic controller, anywhere around the world, you have to speak English. It's the monetary language. And so there's now, there's a, there's, there's a common culture. There's also a common language. In 270 B.C., the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, was finished. And so now everybody has a Bible they can read. Then Alexander dies. The kingdom split in four parts, which is exactly what Daniel prophesied would happen. And the Greek, the Ptolemy dynasty, arises. 63 B.C., Rome arises. Are you with me? Now Rome has taken over the Persians, and Rome is ruling the world. Octavian... The grandnephew of Julius Caesar takes over when Mark Anthony changed his name to Caesar Augustus or Exalted One. Now, understand what's going on. Are you with me? You okay? If you're okay, say, I am. Now, Rome rules the world. 
There are roads to everywhere. There's a common language. The Jews have a gathering place called a synagogue all over the world. And at that time, a decree was sent out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. It was the first census that was taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to be registered. Joseph, along with Mary, who he was engaged to, heavy with a child, went, left Nazareth and went to Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David. And while they were there, the time of her to give birth was fulfilled, and she gave birth to a son, and she laid him in a manger, for there's no room for them in the inn. At the same time, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly a great host of heavenly angels showed up saying, glory to God, peace on earth and to all men in whom God is well pleased. For today in the city of David has been born for you a savior, which is Christ the King. And you will find him in Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And the shepherds looked to each other and said, hurry, we've got to go to Bethlehem and see this great sight which the angels had told us about. They go to Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby just as they had said. And they'd made known all the things that the shepherd says and they were all amazed and Mary pondered these things in her heart. Now listen, those shepherds were in Bethlehem. It was a priestly city. And, and, and what happens is they are raising sacrificial lambs. By the way, you do not wrap up, in this culture, you do not wrap up a child in cloths. You wrap up a lamb that is, re- that is gonna be sacrificed in cloth. You cover a baby. You do not wrap up a baby like we do today because that's what they did to get ready to kill the lambs. In the garden, 4,000 years before, Adam and Eve rebelled against God And on the place, the site, Moriah, where it's bleed on Mount Zion, on the top of Mount Moriah, where God created Adam, the sacred site where Melchizedek and Abraham had, and Abraham brought tithes. Some say the Garden of Eden was there. Again, that's where it's believed that God created Adam. It's the most sacred spot on the planet. Are you with me? There, where God, under today's the Dome of the Rock, But there, the rock, the most sacred, holy spot, the Moriah, the place where God has been seen, the place where the garden was, the place where 4,000 years ago, God gives a promise to Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham is going to sacrifice his son. And then a 1,000 years later, the temple shows up, and the glory of God fills that place. And then a 1,000 years later, Jesus shows up. And on the northernmost part of the mountain of Moriah, the place where God will be seen, the Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling clothes in that Bethlehem manger was crucified on a cross, dying to fulfill the promise that we too would have a Messiah, that our sins would be paid for. See, Christmas is an invasion of God onto this planet. It's incredible. We know he came and we know he's coming again. The question is, will you be ready? See, all of history, while people thought, is God doing anything? God was building roads and changing languages and God was getting the world ready for his son. And that's how he spoke to Zachariah, said, get ready. Throughout history, God has had a plan. From creation to the Christmas to the cross to Easter, God has had a plan and you have always been a part of that plan before the foundations of the world God planned for you. The question is, will you love God with all your heart? Will you seek God as he has sought you? Will you make God primary in your life? 
It's an incredible thing. How, how can we get blase and bored with the Christmas story? How can we get blase about the church, the bride of Christ? See, the problem is in America that we have, we have become, we are being entertained to death. And we come to church like we go to a movie and we leave as critics of that movie. Instead of meeting together to worship a God that is beyond our comprehension. A God that planned before he, before he flung the stars into the skies that there would be a Christmas and there would be a cross and there would be an Easter and you would have an opportunity to know that God. Even though we have sinned and fallen short of his glory, God wants you to be a part of what he's doing. I've had to repent the last couple of mornings in my quiet time for not being awed enough at God, for not being blown out of the water that I get to be a part of the church of the living God, the things that angels long to understand. So maybe you've never met that God. He's ready. He's reaching out his hand to you through his word. As though his appeal was being made, Paul said, through me. And this weekend, God is appealing to you to come to him. So at all of our campuses, if you're ready to respond, if you're ready to turn to Jesus, he's ready. That's why he came. In the fullness of time. Whew, my mercy. This is going to be the best Christmas I've ever been a part of. I see it in a new light. So right now, if you're ready to respond, if you're ready to open your heart up to that God with every head bowed and every eye closed, pray this simple prayer with us. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know you came for me, died for me, rose from the grave, and you love me. No reason why. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my King. Be my Messiah. You died for me. I will live in awe of you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, all God's people said, my mercy. Woo! <clears throat> Literally for months, I had been wanting to share this message with you guys. Just... I think, well, let's do it. I'm going to do it this weekend. No, no, you got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait. You got to wait till Christmas. And so, man, I, I'm just, I just, I love you guys. It so says, if you just opened your heart up to Jesus, we want to help you. So pull the communication card out, check the circle, fill the top part out, check the circle that says, I made a first time decision to follow Christ. Go ahead and check the second circle. I want to be baptized. And I'd, if you've not been to Next Steps, go ahead and check the third one. Matter of fact, you can. Check your kids out. Check, put your kids back in childcare, and you can go after this service. And so, incredible. Now, if you'll fill the communication cards out, and then guess if you'll fill those out, drop them in the offering bucket. And when this service is over, in just a few minutes, if you'll go out those center doors, there's some square tables. Some really friendly people love to meet you, and they've got a gift for you. We're thrilled that you came. And I just want to remind you, man, next, this, this Wednesday at Pellissippi, Christmas spectacular. Let's blow it out of the water for Jesus. 
Let's give this coming weekend to him as our gift of worship to him, as we invite and involve the neighbors that we're learning to love. So as we get ready to give, uh, this uh, weekend began All is Bright. It's a Christmas ministry that we do. It's a coordinated effort across, with, with, across all of our Faith Promise campuses with the Boys and Girls Clubs. And uh, it's been incredible. It's been incredible. It'll be done seven times over the next week. Uh, this weekend, Pellissippi and Blunt got together. Uh, we ministered to this weekend to 1,750 boys and girls that wouldn't have anything under the tree. Incredible. Before this week is out, there'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,500 boys and girls that we will minister love and grace and the gospel to. So you guys are amazing. Thanks so much. There'll be a little boy, a little girl, whose Christmas is gonna be brighter because you went to Walmart, you went to the mall, you got something. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're always generous. And so as we get ready to worship through bringing our tithes and offerings, some of you have given online this week, about 75%. Thank you. Others will text. Others will drop your offering into the buckets. However you give, I'm grateful that you're obeying God because I want to see your life blessed and nothing hindering the favor of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for an incredible story, your story, God. Thank you for including us in your story. God, we get to be a part of your church, of the mystery of the kingdom. God, as we give, it's a part. As we serve, it's a part. As we invite, thank you, God. Father, would across all of our campuses, would you bless to the max everyone that gives. The first time givers and those that have given for decades. God, let your fire, your blessings fall is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, come on, give him a shout as we get to give.